In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. All right, we are here. Mitty is here too, up on the desk. She's got some things to say. She might be just quietly purring. We will find out. We have some stuff to say about pelvic floor strengthening. We do. So many of you all know that we did a poll in the huddle. We always, whenever I'm like confused about like the state of something in our field or, you know, just need some more information about like collectively, what are we all thinking as pelvic PTs? It's like how I love using the huddle a little bit into kind of get a finger on the pulse of what the group think is of pelvic PTs and OTs and rehab practitioners. And so we did a poll in the huddle all about like how often you guys all give Kegels. Kegels or reverse Kegels. Or reverse Kegels, I said, which we will find out is was a very confusing question, apparently. Cool. (laughs) We're going to find out why. Well, and this is interesting. So, and thank you guys. Almost 500 of you answered. And these are always really just interesting because there's no, usually no judgment here. It's just like no right or wrong. It's just wanting to understand where you guys are at. And that just depends so much. I, I feel like it's such an interesting field because there's so much variability depending on when you were trained, by who you were trained, whether you had one-on-one mentorship, what courses you've been to. Like everybody says that you could be a pelvic PT, pelvic OT. And, you know, if you say you're a mechanic, like I have a pretty good idea of what it is you do and what kind of tools you have. Like if you say you're a pelvic PT, I don't really know. Yeah. Oh, are you like a Jarn Barnes myofascial person? Are you a visceral person? Are you a yoga person? Are you an exercise person? Are you a manual physical therapist? Do you know how to do rectal? Do you not? Like... That's a huge variability there. Yeah, man. See, this is now an interesting observation from a non-pelvic PT, right? I think sometimes we are all assuming as pelvic rehab practitioners that we're all on the same page, and we certainly are not. That's one of the reasons why I was really excited to have the pelvic PT ethos as part of pelvic PT essentials, um, because it really does matter, especially if you're going to run your own business, but also just not like what kind of a PT are you? What kind of an OT are you? And a lot of our experience and clinical experience and like Jesse said, coursework and all of that informs how we practice and what we think about the pelvic floor and how we think it should best be treated. So that's, I guess, takeaway number one from this is just that there's a wide variety and we can't forget that because it is confusing to patients. And it is one of the reasons why I think it's so important. God, we have all got to get really good at saying what we think 
and understanding what we think, saying what we think, and translating that into patient-centered language about like, what does that mean for patients? What does it mean when they're coming to pelvic sanity, for instance? I don't know. I just feel like that's like a kind of a sidebar important takeaway from this because I think it is, it's something that I think we forget sometimes. And I think it's something that's super important for the growth of our field to understand that there's like multiple ways to be a good pelvic practitioner. There are. And, And I think that's one of the cool things and the challenging things about just looking at it from an outsider's point of view is... I don't even think physical therapists, whoever it is, rehab professionals, have the language to even describe their differences. Like when we were doing the down training masterclass, right? It was crazy to me with how much everybody talks about down training. There was literally no published approved definition of down training. Like we had to create that. And we were all using it in very different totally ways. Totally differently, and right? pretending like we're speaking the same language and we're really not. It's and like I the think... who's on first thing, right? Oh, who's on first? What's on second? Same thing with down training. It's like three physical therapists in the room and all three of them said they did down training with their patient and all three of them did completely different things. Totally. And this, I think, what is the... TLDR, that's the thing nowadays, right? Too long, don't read. That's the takeaway of this poll is that we need to get really clear about what we mean and don't mean when we do say something about Kegels, when we say something about pelvic floor strengthening, uh, when we say something about pelvic floor lengthening, like what does that all mean to us and how are we each doing it differently to serve our patients the best? Right. What does it mean to you guys? How do we get some clarity in the language of how do we even talk about these things intelligently? And then if we are confused, you know patients have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, they, and we, okay, the other cool thing that if you're a first-time listener to the Pelvic PT Rising podcast, you also need to know that we have a pretty robust, how many are we up to now, 2,500? 3,500. 3,500 people in a patient-centered group. So a lot of the times what we do in the huddle, we're sneaky, we ask pelvic therapists like what's happening in the huddle for instance what's a kegel how often do you give them and then we also have a simultaneous poll going on in the finding pelvic sanity patient-centered facebook group and that's where we can see a glaring disconnect between what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing and, and then in i this combine case, that it was interesting because it wasn't that glaring so sometimes they're wildly different like when we asked you guys about like how many people are doing regular rectal evaluations and treatment everyone's like oh yeah i Me, do those. i do and then we asked our patient group and it's like zero right. people two <laughs> percent had that and they were all pelvic sanity patients right and <laughs> like, they were like and they were like also saying and i asked my pelvic pt and she said we didn't need to do that and that's not important and like all this stuff and i was like oh shit but on this no one, pun intended, we were pretty, that is a problem. Yeah, this one was pretty. There was uh, pretty congruent, I think, with between what we saw in the huddle and what we saw from the patient group. Yeah. So, which is funny because it's I felt like kind of being like, and you're confused, and you're confused, and everybody's confused. Right, Yay. but patients certainly had no idea when we were talking about you know reverse kegels. We gave like 18 examples. People were like, wait, what is this? My patient had me unfold like a flower. Or my PT, yeah, yeah, yeah. My my PT had me unfold like a flower. What the hell do I call that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. First of all, just as a side, this is like something personal about me. I hate that visualization. I have always hated that cue. I hate it. Number one, I don't use it very often, which we'll go into in a second. But 
I my mean, butthole's flowering right now, so I don't know what you're talking about, Nicole. I think it's I hate glorious. It. I'm sorry if anybody uses it, but man, I fucking hate that thing. Wait, what's the? I was just kind of joking, but what, what is it actually? Oh, it's imagine your pelvic floor is like a rosebud blooming. I fucking hate it. I everyone's blooming? gonna be. Blooming, like opening, like opening for like relaxation and lengthening. And apparently, according to this poll, no one fucking knows what that means anyways. <laughs> so it would be like a rosebud opening and blooming, except then when it opened, like pee came out. No, like, like that's what. Well, well, that's a great, great thing, right? Except for, right. Well, that's how you could like teach pelvic floor relaxation. And what are we really doing? Is it to baseline in which pee wouldn't come out under normal circumstances? Or are we actually releasing the pelvic floor and actually relaxing it to the point where the pelvic floor pressure is less than exerting on the urethral sphincter, less than the bladder is exerting on it, and then pee would come out. It sounded really nice until we got to the rosebud peeing part. I just hate, I just don't like that one. So I don't know (laughs) about that, but for all you, but I don't know if there's anything that's like nails on a chalkboard to some of you all in the about pelvic PTQs and stuff. I just hate it. Anyways. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. So, with no further ado, no gilding the lily, no more unflowering the rosebud, whatever it is, here are the results. And I feel like this is so interesting. This is there has to be a huge shift. If we had done this poll 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 for sure, ago, 15 for sure. Even 5. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy. It's weird looking at it from an outsider's perspective. You see how quickly things are changing. And how slow it sometimes feels like in the field. But like these results would have been completely different 10 years ago. So if we say, the basically the question was how often, to what percentage of patients do you give either Kegels or reverse Kegels? Some sort of like voluntary pelvic floor activity. So only 4% of you said that that happened to most everybody. 75% to 100%. 4% said, hey, I'm doing it for just about everybody. Yes, and I do feel like the category that won, which was 50 to 75%, a lot of people in the comments were like, I like don't want to be lumped in with like the everybody does it, so I'm going to put myself in that higher, you know, the next high category. Right. So, it's so like maybe it's kind of skewed understand. lower a little bit by the way that we asked the question, but we were at 4% for that almost everybody, and then 67% by far the highest percentage was for 50 to 75% of people that we do that with. So, you know, even assuming that there's some movement there and some people might, who are at 78%, might not have wanted to be in that upper category, right? There's a tendency to kind of group with the herd on some of these questions. But, I mean, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, that would have been completely reversed. That would have been 80 plus percent of people would have said everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, if I look back, so I've been a public PT now for what, 16 years now? And I feel that, I mean, I had the expensive biofeedback machine because I got all proud of myself for me lobbying to my hospital program that that's what we wanted because that was what I was told in pelvic floor one. And that was super important for the success of the programs that I was going to be able to see, quote unquote, what was happening at the pelvic floor could they contract? Could they relax? What was actually happening? And so, yeah, so I used to do this. I used to use biofeedback a lot, which many of you might not know, although I've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast, especially on the episode 
about biofeedback, which is one of our highest rated episodes, one of my favorites. But yeah, that's what I mean, I used to do that a lot. So I have a lot of experience doing that, albeit a long time ago. And that's where the field was when you that's were being field trained. Was, for sure. It was just like, oh my gosh, why aren't you doing this? And which version of the cool biofeedback machine did you happen do you happen to work with? Everybody that I worked with was like so like jealous of me that I got to work with this big one. Meanwhile, now, fast forward, I was like, that thing, <laughs> I should have put that thing in the trash a long time ago. But um, anyway, so, so I'm not, we used to do that. I think that last, you know, you know, like, like Jesse said, like that would have been a huge proportion of the majority of our focus of the rehab would have been getting awareness, understanding the pelvic floor, contractions, endurance, all of that stuff in a very visual form. Every single patient needs to see that. Every every single single patient needs that. And I feel like that, we can't underestimate how big of a change, like that's a sea change over not that long of time. A what change? A sea change. What's a sea change? It's like a very dramatic change. Sea, like S-E-A? S-E-A. Oh, okay. Oh, because the sea changes dramatically. Yeah, it's a sea change. Okay. So... But, I mean, that's a huge thing where that used to be 10 years ago, every single person would have been in that, like, oh, almost every single person. It would be really, really rare for somebody not to need voluntary pelvic floor contraction, Kegel, whatever that is. For a variety of reasons, but yes. Right. Totally. And now that has completely shifted where 67% of people are in that. A pretty dang good chunk of my patients don't need that at all. And then as we go down the list here, so about 20% of you answered somewhere between 25 and 50%. And then 8% answered 0 to 25%, which is where Nicole would have landed with this. Yes, um, proudly. If I could have voted twice, I would have. Right. <laughs> but that's super interesting, right? That's 28%. More than a quarter of people aren't using like these voluntary contractions that often. And I think that is... Just a complete about face from where the field was. And it's cool to see where it's going. And I feel like it's accelerating in that direction, honestly. Because there's not very many people now who I think would would go to the mat arguing that every single patient needs Kegels. Correct. Right? That's prob- That ship has probably sailed. And if yeah. you've got that person out there... Like, that's just probably the way they were trained. They've been practicing that way for a long time. Like, well... Screw it. I'm, I'm not going to go back <laughs> and change it now. Right. I can see. I think that if you really like try to keep the finger on the pulse of the field and stuff like that, you'll even see that right in our patient education. You know, most of us are doing some form of something on, well, maybe not most, but a lot of people are doing some form of patient education on, on Instagram. We are very adamant about saying that not everybody gives Kegels. If your doctor's giving this to you, make sure you check with us first if they're appropriate for you. I think that's now the the anthem of our field is that we're not just about Kegels, but then what are we about and what are we... I think that's the next piece of where we need to be, right? So it's not that, oh, we're just not about that, but I think this is where we need to be very clear about what are we for, what is our expertise area, and and if not Kegels, then what? And especially then what in a way that somebody is going to understand. Preach. I feel like that is a great point on just the idea of that Kegels have defined this field for so long. Right, which makes sense when we look at the history of all of this, right? Is pelvic floor physical therapy starts as 
Hey, how do we prevent incontinence in postpartum women? Kegels, biofeedback, all of that stuff. Basically, it started with like increasing urethral pressure via the pelvic floor in some, right? And it was actually by a guy, a German dude. So I think the actual pronunciation is Kegel. Oh, Dr. Kegel did it. I think we should actually just change him to Alfred's. Wasn't his name Alfred? I think it was. Why don't we just call him Alfred's? Are you Alfreding today? No, I don't think so. But I think it is. But I still call him Kegels. So that's it. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) And this section is sponsored by MerriamWebsterDictionary.com, Nicole's pronunciation guide to Kegels. Next. That was random. (laughs) This is why we have a script, everybody. But I do feel like, to your point with that, if we're not just about Kegels anymore, what are we about? Right? Where it used to be, everything was about Kegels. And that's what you did. And then the step away from that, there was almost like a revolution that's ongoing against that, saying, hey, we are more than that as a field. We're more than just Kegel teachers. We have all of these different things that we can help. We can help all of these areas that no one ever even thought that pelvic floor physical therapy could help and bowel stuff and placebo, all of these things, right? That nobody thought that we could do. And so now it's like, oh, are you pro-Kegel or are you anti-Kegel? Like the field is still being defined by Kegels. And I love what your point right there is, is if we're not just about Kegels, then what are we about? It can't just be, hey, are you a pro-Kegel person? Are you an anti-Kegel person? It's like, well, no. Like, what are we actually about if we're recognizing the limitations of the way that we used to do things? Yeah. Now you preach. That's truth, man. It is. Um, It's super important. And I feel, like Jesse said before, like, I feel like it's going to be super important to get our shit straight before we are, before we're basically forward facing in front of patients and doctors and other healthcare professionals that have this very specific view about what we, what our role is in the patient rehab journey. So, so, and I think that that's where, you know, and maybe that is why there's so much confusion around this is that no one has actually ever really been trained in a method that wasn't Kegel based. It was like you were either trained in a Kegel based idea and then continued with that, or you were trained in a Kegel based idea and then rejected that. Right. And walked away from it and then had to come up with basically your own philosophy around that individually. And that's, I think, another reason we can talk about the field being a little bit fractured. I think in a lot of ways that's actually really cool that there's a lot of different ways you can get help. But if there's not a cohesive idea about, well, if we're not all about Kegels and what are we about, that's where we get this splintering into, well, we're not really doing Kegels. We're doing half Kegels or we're just doing Kegels for awareness or it's really important to have coordination, or we do reverse Kegels, right? That's the true about face on Kegels. I don't do Kegels anymore. I do reverse Kegels. Right. Which, and I think that if you check the comment section on this thread, I think that's that's where it got really interesting for me, right? And I spoke to many of you on DM and PM, and then I spoke to my own staff about it and all that stuff. And I, and I just think that that's where we're all trying to be like, well, we know the Kegel thing isn't all we're about. And I know that that's like probably not the focus of our session should be. But I'm still kind of doing a version of it. And then we're just now we're justifying it in different ways get based on our other experience or background. So if you have an orthopedic experience and you're doing it in a... 
you know, an interesting just analogy real quick is something that like, you know, I think there used to be this big pelvic bracing. I remember like doing a project in PT school that was like, oh, is abdominal hollowing or abdominal bracing better for lumbar spine, you know, stability and control. And I think now we would say that neither are necessary, that that is now kind of an outdated philosophy that you have to, you know, pre-recruit your transversus abdominis volitionally to increase stiffness in the trunk in order to decrease back pain with a functional activity. I think we can all agree that that's like not a thing, that it's important to have the automatic strength of the system and through a range of movements and demands and all of that stuff. And so that more trunk rigidity focus is now sort of outdated, at least it well, who knows? Maybe I'm going to get a DM about it, but in my opinion, it should be. And so I think that we're kind of at this same crux in the pelvic floor world now where it's like, well, we now we kind of understand that. But now I think where the orthopedic world has gone, where we do have a very good, a decent sense of what core strengthening is and should look like that is based in that sort of world, then what is that going to be analogous for in the pelvic floor world? And right now I think we're kind of in this jumbled mess of, what do we actually mean? Now we're all just kind of doing our own thing, like knowing that that's not really where we want to go, knowing that's like, well, the pelvic floor is like has both voluntary and involuntary functions. And so how am I really doing that? I, I do want to like have my patients have some awareness of it, but is that really important? Is that a prerequisite for for strengthening? I would argue no. I know that there are a lot of people that say yes. So, but where are we as a field in that? And where are we in the research with that? And this is where I don't even really think that we know how to even talk to each other about that. That's why I'm so excited about you doing this course and about all the conversations that it's going to start in the huddle and all of those things, because we don't even really have the language to be talking about this, much less having a really cohesive you know, idea yeah. right, of, of something beyond like, well, I know Kegels aren't everything then where do we go from there, right? And that depends on your comfort level in breaking away from that, right? I mean, you know, if we look back at those numbers again, let me pull it back up. I mean, some of us have gotten really comfortable breaking away from zero to 25% of people get Kegels. That's almost 10% of the field just says like, which nope. is <laughs> which is kind of a crazy number when you really think that every single one of those people who said that, all everybody in that 10% was trained in a very Kegel-focused manner. Mm-hmm. And so 10% of people have had said just like totally F that for better or for worse, right? You can make the argument that maybe they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater by not doing that for many people. You know, another huge percentage, that 67% have said, well, you know, I'm going to definitely not do it for the, the obvious people who it's not right for, but I don't really know what to do with everybody else. What would I even do if... There weren't Kegels and reverse Kegels. Yeah. Where would even I mean, go? And I would say that that's probably one of the biggest things that if ever I even kind of half talk about that on Instagram or something, I get like at least five to 10 DMs that are like, wait a second, wait a second. In your stories, you just said that, you know, every exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise. Like, I don't even get, how can that even be a thing? Like, how, what is that? What do you even do? What do you do if you don't teach Kegels, right? Because we um, also did a study about this. You guys know that I love making sure that what I am saying I do is actually what I do. So a couple of years ago, I think it was like 2017 or 2018. 2018, we did that one. 2018, we actually presented this at 
as an abstract at the International Public Pain Society meeting. And I had was on a kick back then about this. And I was like, shit, I need to actually make sure that I'm not prescribing them as much as I think I'm not also. So we actually did a retrospective analysis on the patients that public sanity had seen that had actually received Kegel exercises as part of a home program. And so we came back with some at least clinic data on that. And it showed that, Jesse. Well, man, it's been a while. You're really putting me on the spot in the middle of this podcast to remember some old data. But it was, I think it was 15% of our patients of this caseload. And I think we did it over like the course of a couple of months. So it was more than 100 patients. So we had a pretty good sample size with that. But about 15% received some form of Kegel exercises as part of their home program. So we would very much fall into that 0 to 25% right in the middle there. Not on the zero range, tellingly, right? So it's yeah, not, not saying zero. Like, this is not saying that like Kegels are terrible and I never give them ever to anybody ever. It's not. That's not the point of this podcast. It's not going to be the point of the course. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But it was the point of of actually looking and seeing if you're practicing what you're preaching. And the answer was yes. It was 85 percent of pelvic sanity patients of a variety of diagnoses. I feel like we have a clinic that sees a really broad range of people too. So it's not just pregnancy, postpartum. It's not just pelvic pain. It's not just like random weird stuff. And it's not just women. We see men. Not just women. Mm -hmm. We see a really high percentage of men. And then the other thing that I thought was really, really interesting from that study is that of the people who did receive Kegels, and we look back and really did a deep dive into their chart, nobody, in no case, did Kegels compromise more than 25% of what we were having them do. So it was 85% of people didn't get them at all. And those who did, it was less than a quarter of the things that they were supposed to be doing as part of their home program. Number one, again, I want to make sure that I'm always really authentic with what I'm talking about and making sure that I'm not saying something that I'm not doing because that's not who I am. It's not who I want to be. That's not what Pelvic PT Rising is. But I think it was very interesting to be like, yeah, I don't do that. And the biggest thing with that is that we also know that our patient outcomes are excellent. So it's not a prerequisite to have some form of Kegel-based exercise be part of a successful outcome for pelvic floor patients. And there's stuff to be doing during, I mean, they're all hour-long, some two-hour-long sessions at Pelvic Sanity. Like, it's not like you ran out of shit to do and we're just like, well, no. And I think, you know, that's part of the same thing in terms of like my argument for even thinking about it this way. Right. But that's part of my if you want to call it an anti biofeedback, you know, stance is that it's not that I don't think that biofeedback can be useful. I just am like, there's a shit ton of other things that we need to do. And it never for me takes precedence over like a laundry list of other things. And in this case, I think that Kegels as a form of pelvic floor strengthening is that as well, is that it's not that individually it's like terrible that I think you're the worst PT ever if you give it. But, you know, I would just challenge you to think like, is that really the best use of that patient's time? And is that commiserate with the, what we know that the pelvic floor functions in a typical day-to-day situation like is is that what we're doing is the percentage of things that we are asking the pelvic floor to do at home commiserate with what the average person's demand is on the pelvic floor and most of the time if you have a 
if you're giving patients a lot of Kegels and or they comprise a lot more of their home program and you're having them really focus on it and doing all these things, it's like, right. So you're giving a voluntary action-based pelvic floor exercise type thing to a system that, it, if it's commensurate, right, would be 75% voluntary. Well, that's not how it works. So does your clinical ethos and understanding of the pelvic floor match what you're giving is really what, something, a challenge for you to like think about in this state. Yeah, and two things that I think I want to pull out from that that point, because I think that really does, that raises the bar when you think of it the way that you just described it, right? It's not, is this something that is could be helpful? It's, is this the single most helpful thing I could be doing? Yeah, and you know, one of the things that too, I sometimes, especially when I'm training new grads, when you guys all feel like any new grad that's going into pelvic health, like, good on you, man. That It's a hard thing to do to step into that field when you're just trying to figure out how to do be a PT, much less a pelvic PT. But, you know, one of the things that I have to help decide, like, what should I give them? Because a lot of times your brain's going a mile a minute. You've got 17,000 things that you should have done on the evil but didn't get to, 17,000 things that you actually don't know anything about <laughs> that the patient actually knows more than you on, and then like a ton of things too that you're like, oh shoot, I can pick from all these things. Everything's important because it's hard for you to decide. But some of the prompt that I give people is like, if you knew that this was the last time that this person was ever going to be able to see a pelvic PT what would you give them then? What do you think is going to make the biggest bang for their buck in terms of of their home program? If they could never see anybody or talk to another public PT again, what would you give them? And usually that helps you to decide and prioritize like what that person needs at that time, because then you could take into account them, their personality, how many times they're going to come in and all that kind of stuff or not come in at that point, but it would help to prioritize that. So, and a lot of times at that that if you ask it like that, telling people to do an elevator Kegel is not going mi- to, doesn't hit the mark, right? It doesn't hit the mark. Telling people to, some, to focus on something voluntary when they need to do some form of down training, of which there are three types, then what's going to be best for that patient if you never saw them again? And I think that that's kind of a clinical pearl you can take away for anybody. But certainly if you're not sure if, you know, you want to focus on pelvic floor itself or look outside the system like what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck and it seems like in that case too when you are deciding to make the deliberate decision like actually a voluntary contraction of the pelvic floor does hit that that is the thing that's going to matter the most that shouldn't be like oh the default that is in the five different things that i am potentially considering i deliberately say that that one is the most valuable and i'm not going to have them do the other four because this one is what's going to, and I think this is where I think you get a lot of compliments and pushback, frankly, for being like anti-Kegel as being somebody who's part of that. But I don't think that that's a really fair assessment of your thoughts on it. I think it's much more that if you are going to be doing that, you want people to be convinced and have evidence and have thought through all of the different options and then have deliberately decided that that is the best option. That's the best one for this patient sitting right in front of me right now with these set of symptoms. Right. Not as the default because that's what you happened to learn first in pelvic floor one because a biofeedback company sponsored the course. Yes. True. Okay. Yeah. So, I I mean, mean, which is, I, I love that's why when we, that's why we test ourselves with some of that research stuff. And like, 
it's not that you've never given a Kegel or that you never would. Like, there's absolutely certain times. I think that's one of the things that's going to be fun in the course. It's not just like, oh, how to not give Kegels. It's how to do that in a way that respects that bar. Is this the single best use? It's not just, is this helpful, but is this the most helpful? And if we are, I loved how you said And at the right time, right? And that's the thing, right? Is this the most important thing? It's because, again, it's not like... I'll say it again. It's not like I've never given one. I mean, shit. I've yes, I have, of course. But like at the point too, when the the stakes aren't so high too. On if a person's just there right now, and like the first time feels like hope, and this instance maybe a pelvic pain person and and all that stuff. Like I'm not gonna give them like an active reverse Kegel pelvic floor lengthening kind of activity. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just not because it's like that might not be the right time for that in their entire journey. So you have to take the context of their entire journey and your entire their entire plan of care when that might be best inserted in their home program or plan of care. And not just because you're checking off a box where I need to check strength and I need to check recruitment. I need to check timing and I need to do this perfect analysis and or I'm going to use the brink scale or like it right we don't have to do that like I've literally like not done that in a long time so just kind of a big deal actually <laughs> true air confess you said that like you were confessing something this is where me being totally <laughs> ignorant of the pelvic health field like actually is kind of interesting right she said that like that was a confession like that should like I should have gasped it is well I get you I bet you everyone else is gasping <gasps> you're not objectively measuring strength on the on your eval like nope well that sounds like a podcast for another time but nicole (laughs) after leaving us with that bomb yes it is a bomb talk to me about your takeaways from this poll because i thought that was really pretty cool to see how quickly things are shifting with like just the thoughts and how that actually is being done in practice by the people who respond to that poll, because that would have been a completely different answer 10 years ago. Totally. So what I am hoping for y'all to understand by doing this podcast, and this is much more of a, you know, not like five things to do this, or I, I hope this has gotten you to think differently. I hope this has sort of challenged some of your language around what you're using. I think that some of the takeaways is that just a poll and the comments and the thread and all that is like we're all over the place (laughs) with what we are defining things at and I'm such a stickler for like are we talking about the same you know is like our understanding the same we're just all talking about it differently or do we actually think different stuff as a group that's one of the reasons why I did that down training course it's like when we say down training are we like actually all talking about the same thing just in different ways are we all completely off base from each other and in that case we were completely off base from completely off base from each other right so we define it and we get it together on what should be done when and where and the different types and i've identified like three areas that you can do quote unquote down training for your patient but i think that same thing needs to happen essentially in this area too what do we mean by lengthening what do we mean by a contraction what do we mean by a kegel what do we mean by recruitment 
motor control of the pelvic floor. What do we mean by all that? And I, and I know that each of you right now is probably thinking about like what you think it means because we've been forced to sort of apply these concepts to an area that's really under-researched and we don't really know a lot about. And we're taking other concepts from different muscle areas and applying them here. And like, does that make sense? Sometimes yes, and sometimes a lot no. And so I just think that that's one takeaway is that we're not really speaking the same language in this. And that's okay for right now. But that's like my mission to change that because I I do think it's important for the field. And I hope that you kind of all agree with me, actually, that I think it would be helpful to understand like when someone says, oh, I, I was given reverse Kegels. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Is Does that mean that you're doing a bulge? Does that mean you're doing a relaxation beyond normal resting tone? Does that mean you are using breath to lengthen? Is that considered a reverse Kegel at some points? I mean, I just feel like we need to just get straight about what we actually mean with that. I had a really cool conversation with someone in the DMs about contraction, right? Like a are you saying that a Kegel is a contraction? And I was like, are you saying a Kegel is a contraction? And she was like, well, you know, I think that a contraction is can be from any state of the tissue, right? It can be from a shortened state of the tissue to more shortened state. It can be from normal resting tone to shorter than that. It can be from a lengthened state. You can still, quote unquote, contract to baseline. And I was like, right. So then it got this cool conversation of like, well, is there a passive relaxation phase to baseline and then contraction or Kegel is only resting tone neutral to short pelvic floor like there's just so many things about this and how does the nervous system tone play into all of that how are we even objectively measuring all of this stuff or are we (laughs) can we is that even a thing so I don't know I hope that that this is actually helpful for you guys to start to think about like oh shit like we actually do need to get ourselves together on this because again I think we're all on the same page that our profession and our specialty is not just about Kegels. But if not, then what? And I think that that's really the big thing that we're, as a group, are a little little confused about. And so... But that's the question that is going to define the The, next decade of pelvic health. Yeah, it really is. Right, Because the question that's defined the previous decade is, are we doing this right? Is this Kegel-based approach... Correct. Or can we help patients? Can we even help patients? Does this specialty help patients? Yes, I think we, yes, that is true. And now we're moving into the question being, if we're not just about Kegels, like you said, if we're not just about Kegels, then what are we about? That question is going to define the next decade of pelvic health, and I'm really excited. The next 20 for years of pelvic health. Literally the next everything. Next decade. Let's not <laughs> let's not get crazy. There might Hopefully, be something else. No, we're gonna freaking solve this thing. Have some optimism in your freaking field and your compatriots. <laughs> they're gonna listen to the course, they're gonna figure the shit out. We're gonna get this knocked out in the next decade, and then we're gonna have a better question for the twenty thirties. Yay. Yeah, man. <laughs> next decade. Me, like, the worst. Yeah, get well. out of here. This is not the thing that's gonna define us for the next century. No, that's true. You guys are gonna get this figured out. This I'm the wrong. field is moving so fast already. But that's the question. If you're not just about Kegels, what are we about? That's where we're going here. Booyah. All right, guys. Done. Please write in. Let us know if you have thoughts on this. Uh, This is actually a really important time to be engaged and writing in and in the comments of the huddle, all of that stuff, because this helps to define like what Nicole's going to put into this course and what it's going to look like. Um, And so this is why we're asking those questions. This is why we're having those conversations. So please, if you're going to do it, 
and write us in. If, the, if you're sitting out there, you've been listening to the podcast for a long time and you've never said anything to us. Say it now, bitches. Say it now. <laughs> say it now. And let's keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.